Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Welcome to the first ever official leadership webinar of the quarter of the year. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Mark Cusclo. And today you have the one and only Sam Jacobs. And so we have an icebreaker. Most ridiculous thing you've ever heard a sales leader say in your life. <laughs> Most ridiculous, ridiculous thing I've ever heard a salesperson say. It, it typically is going to be like taking credit for an entire company's growth when they were a lowly employee, which is probably something I've said. So I said that I took GLG from 25 million to 300 million, but I wasn't the CEO, I wasn't the leader. I was just along for the ride helping out. So it's something along those lines. Maybe somebody else claimed that they invented the internet. Uh, another person claimed that they chiseled all the faces on Mount <laughs> Rushmore. <was> <laughs> <laughs> all right, Mark, what do you got? Um, I think I heard a bunch of people talking about how 2023 was the year the economy was going to come back. That seems like the most ridiculous <laughs> thing I've ever heard now. <laughs> Just wait till Q3, Mondo. Just wait till Q3. The money's going to roll in. <laughs> there it is. Alrighty, folks. Before we get started, this is going to be run like a classic 30 Minutes to President's Club interview, but you all are going to be the magical third interviewer on the panel. And so ask your questions in the Q&A box. Chad is for all your reactions, the fun stuff, yada, yada, yada. But if you have a question, put it in the Q&A box. And for the questions that you like the most, upvote them. And we will weave those throughout the interview. You guys ready? And a three, two, one. And a good afternoon, everybody. And welcome to this live episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Mark Cusco. And today, it's the one and only, the Sam Jacobs, the man behind Pavilion, the man who's seen a million different sales orgs, and he's going <laughs> to tell us how to run a non-anti-bloated, recession-proof sales team. Mark, why should people listen? I don't know many people more connected and willing to have a difficult, intellectually curious conversation than my man, Sammy J. Oh, so thank you. Y'all want to enjoy the awesomeness make sure and they're putting their <laughs> questions in that q a and we will pepper the crap out of sammy J today and make it feel a little uncomfortable <laughs> i, like I feel it. uncomfortable well, mark, every single day mark but i appreciate you <laughs> mark knows how to make an interview uncomfortable and so these the three buckets of discomfort we got here folks bucket number one when we think about the anti-bloated recession-proof sales team bucket number one setting goals oftentimes signing up for the wrong goal is where this all begins. That's number one. Mm. Number two, once you have a goal, how do you actually back out your hiring plan? How much pipeline you need to hit that goal? How many reps you should have? What those reps should be attaining? That's bucket number two. So if number one is setting the goal, number two is the plan to hit the goal. And then number three is once you are in motion, you are actively producing revenue, your reps are doing well, or maybe they're not doing well, how do you know when it's time to scale up or scale down? And what is the right way to dose that, do it in a way that you don't bloat your sales team? And a three, two, one. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, -head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. 
Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Alrighty, Sam. Welcome to the show. We start every show with your top three actionable leadership takeaways. Let's get your three. Okay. Hello, everybody. Uh, Also, this webinar and uh, this wonderful uh, session is well-timed because I just made a post on LinkedIn about all of these topics, and our favorite CEO and founder of Bravado is challenging me in the comments of that thread. Go to LinkedIn to watch the fisticuffs ensue. But oh, it's all about it's all about forecasting and planning. <laughs> of course, Sahil's wrong and I'm right, but that is not news to anybody watching this. Now, <laughs> takeaway number one. This is about efficiency, right? Today, we're talking about efficiency and goal setting. So if you want to understand the perspective that I'm coming from, I'm not coming from grow at any cost, throw money at a problem, hope it all comes out in the wash. I'm here representing profitable, efficient growth. You can call me Mr. Peg. And the three takeaways are really related to planning in a way that maximizes the efficiency of your dollar spend and, frankly, increases and improves the culture of your organization and the performance of your organization. So takeaway number one is some form of lead routing and really focusing on flooding your best reps with as many high-quality opportunities as possible. This is somewhat controversial, but again, it's something that I do think needs to happen. That happened a lot over the course of the last 12 months. There were a lot of companies that became more efficient from a sales perspective, and unfortunately, one of the reasons why was because their sales teams became smaller. So when they took a team that had been 15 people and they reduced it down to seven people, but the seven people were all high-quality, top-performing reps, Overall efficiency went up. In certain cases, new revenue even went up, but we know that attainment went up. And again, efficiency is the name of the game, which means dollars spend in sales and marketing per unit of growth like ARR growth. So the first thing is have some framework for allocating your best opportunities to your best reps. Somewhat controversial, Zoom Info already does this. A bunch of high quality sales organizations do. Some people think it's not fair. We can talk about ways of making it fair, but that's takeaway number one. Takeaway, I think Mark uh, is, is okay? going to have a. I think Mark is going to have a spicy take on this Uh-oh. one. All righty, Sam. <laughs> What's number two? Number two. Uh, okay. So um, a lot of the ways, this is, again, this is all about planning. This is a sales leadership webinar. This is not about, I'm not targeting, if you're an account executive, this is what you will be focusing on over the course of the next couple of months or years when you make it to become a manager or a chief revenue officer or VP of sales. But I, I need everybody to understand that the easiest way to build a revenue model, and if you've taken Pavilion's CRO school, you've heard me give this speech before. So I apologize because I saw Yair, I saw Randy Sue, I saw Rob Green in the in the comments. So I know that there's some Pavilion members on this webinar right now, but the biggest mistake you can make is just building a spreadsheet that has the number of reps on the left-hand side, their quote expected quota or quota capacity, and then assuming that uh, the more people you hire, the more revenue you generate, right? And that's what we think of as a capacity model. Every rep equals a certain amount of productivity. Therefore, when I hire people, I make more money. That's not really, in a modern world particularly, that's not really how money is made. Money is made by creating attention and interest, AIDA, right? And that happens mostly through marketing or through some form of demand generation, which might be SDRs. Uh, and then and then reps turn uh, activated interest into revenue. But reps are the most expensive way or a very expensive way. It depends on your, on your go-to-market motion, but they're a very expensive way to generate revenue. So how do we think about 
figuring out what our target is. The main thing we need to do is we need to think about a, a, a pipeline generation model that works backwards from your existing customer acquisition cost, figures out where you want to go from a revenue target, and then implies how much you're going to spend, right? And that spend might be in the form of hiring reps, but the first thing you need to understand is our first order of business when we're building a revenue target is to build pipeline, is to get meetings. And we're looking for the cheapest, most productive, most scalable way to get as many meetings as possible. And that is not necessarily the same thing as hiring account executives. So we need a model that doesn't just go up when we hire more people, but really works backwards from what are our legacy costs? What is an acceptable growth number? And then what does that imply about how much we need to invest this year to get that same level of growth? And again, this is exactly the debate. It's not really a debate because Sahil's not really reading my post uh, correctly or with enough detail. So he's sort of missing the point a little bit, but I'm sure that he'll get there uh, if he reads it a little bit more closely. But the point of my post today on LinkedIn is if you generated $3 million last year in new business and you spent $4 million in sales and marketing and your boss says last year you generated $3 million in new business, this year we want you to generate $6 million in new business, you need to understand that there's a cost associated with that and it's likely going to be proportional to what you historically have spent. So again, takeaway number two is do not just build a headcount capacity model, build a waterfall pipeline generation model to understand how you're going to get to your revenue target and whether that target makes sense given how much you're going to spend. You know, Should I go to three? in just a second, but I was always told, never engage with people in the comments, but you've taken this to another level where you decided to engage someone from the comments and bring them on to I a thought webinar. It would, you know, it's like the whole cycle of social media and instant engagement. If it bleeds, it leads, Armand. All right, well then bring us through number three. What do we got? Number three is, um, is is again related to all of this is about forecasting and about planning right that's that's the, the effectively the topic of today the topic is anti bloated recession proof sales team recession proof is going to be a group of high performing high capacity reps that you've enabled with really well and then it's about okay well how do we make sure it's not bloated well you make you make sure it's not bloated don't assume if you know how to spend 1 million dollars that means you know how to spend 20 million dollars right so when i say size your bets it's okay we've got a group of four people they're doing really really well they're uh they're they're hitting their number they're over each of them is at 100% quota attainment. Should we go from four to 20? And I certainly have seen that in the ZERP era. And I would say, I would caution you against going from a sales team of four to a sales team of 20. What I would say is, if you know how to hire four people and make them really productive, let's make sure that you can do it with eight. Let's hire another four people. Then maybe let's hire eight people after that. But the whole point of it is tranched sized investments, not going from zero to 100 and throwing money at a problem. Again, that might work if money is free and freely available. But again, the topic of today's webinar is anti-bloated recession proof. And so anti-bloated means we're going to be a little bit more cautious. We're going to sacrifice a little bit of top line growth in order to make sure that we stay tight, we stay efficient, and that the reps that we do have are happy at their jobs and doing really well. So those are my three big takeaways, all of them related to profitable, efficient growth, prudent financial planning. All right, let's jump in with Sammy J. I I don't know. Do we want to get into the send the best leads to the best the the best reps? <laughs> that could be dangerous. Uh, Mark, what I, I do you think, think about that? I think we let's save it for the final section on when we talk about like getting in your plan, adjusting the plan, and also pipeline and capacity modeling. Let's start with the goals, but I know we're going to come back to that point in just a second. So let's Fair start enough. with setting goals. Now, I was just, I was just getting super excited for that because it's going to be spicy. But uh, listen, <laughs> uh, you got to start with goals first, right? And that, that's the kind of the first bucket that we're talking about, Sam, is, is you know, as you're a sales leader or you're a rep watching your sales leader set goals, both are important positions of perspective, right? How, how are you guiding the people that you mentor and the people that are a part of Pavilion into setting healthy goals that help the company not goals that beat everybody down one quarter in when you're having to reforecast the entire year. Yeah, I think that's a great question, Mark. And and I think again, these are my perspectives. It's all you know the asterisks of you know my personal opinion. I'm not God. Uh, I'm just a lowly man uh, that runs uh, that runs the the best go to market community in the world. But I'm I'm, I'm kidding in the sense that like. I, there's a lot of different perspectives, but what do I think? Here's what I think. You know, that smart framework for goal setting, I think, is is pretty useful, right? Specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. First, that that's one thing I think. Second thing I think, and I don't know if you agree with this, Mark, but I think I think I may have heard you talk about this topic in the past. But I believe I believe a culture of winning begets further cultures of winning. So one of the things I think is that I want to set 
aggressive, ambitious goals, but I want them to be attainable. And on the margin, meaning if I have to debate to raise or lower a goal, I would prefer to the guiding light for me is how attainable is it because I'd rather have the company winning than set a goal that's so ambitious and not have everybody get there. Again, there's different there's different schools of thought on it. There might be certain CEOs that say, uh, you know, if I had set the goal higher, maybe we would have pushed a little more, even if we didn't get all the way there. But I think that there's particularly in a recession, right, particularly in a more difficult selling environment. I think we all need to be high fiving a little bit and celebrating each other and winning. So, again, on the margin, I'm looking for attainable goals. That doesn't mean uh, conservative and that doesn't mean sandbagging, but it does mean that I have reasonable confidence that these goals are attainable. And I can tell you that there's nothing the opposite of what what Mark said, right? Which is like, you set a goal at the beginning of the year and, uh, and then you meet like maybe some, maybe it's even like three weeks into January, you realize that you're way off and that you're going to have to reforecast. And then it's today, right? It's seven weeks into the quarter, eight weeks into the quarter. And maybe you're thinking, man, these were not realistic at all. And now you have to go back to the board and reforecast. And you have to have that weird conversation with the team and you have to figure out, are we even, are we lowering quota? So What's the opposite of that? The opposite of that is when you set a goal that's pretty conservative and right from the beginning at the outset of the year, you know that you're going to be beating that goal and crushing that goal. And again, neither one of them is perfect, but if I had to choose one, man, the other, the, the, the latter category of setting realistic goals that you're like, we're already pacing ahead, you know, and again, in pavilion, we have goals too, besides being a community, we are a company. We had a great January because we set conservative goals this year. We're having a great February. It's, it's a nice feeling. It's a nice feeling to know that we put a number in front of the board. We're going to hit it. The board is happy. We're performing relative to our expectations. It's a really good feeling. Could we have set them much, much higher? We could have. But, um, you know, one of the things that um, a board member said to me on my board, Peter Fallon from Elephant Ventures, he said, numbers beaters tend to remain numbers beaters and numbers missers tend to remain numbers missers. Mm -hmm. And there's just something about a culture of winning that I find very powerful. So all of that is the is the preface. And then I want to hear what Mark thinks, of course, because He's actually, you know, a much more talented and seasoned sales leader than I am. But the thing I would say is the the first topic in my actionable takeaways, right? Which is okay. So so we know that we want them to be attainable. We want them to be realistic. We're in a world of, you know, again, uh, anti bloated recession proof, right? We're in a world of capital efficiency. So we're going to sacrifice a little bit of saying we're going to triple this year, right? We're not going to walk around and beat our chest to our friends and say we're going to go from ten to thirty million this year, unless, of course, we have the pipeline to show it, but. The final piece of it is, of course, setting the right goal. And what is the right goal? It's going to come. Jason Lemkin talks about like looking at your past uh, quarter of performance or past six months of performance and then extrapolating some level of forward. My point is your goals and your attainment are going to be relative to what you've been doing recently. That's fundamentally what I think. It's not going to be mag uh, magically different. So what we're going to do is we're going to say what, and I guess goal setting, the last thing I'll say is it is a, is a mixture of art and science, right? It is what is an acceptable growth rate? If we get to this level by the end of the year, are we happy? And then again, and this is for a business of some level of, of scale and size, it's not for a million dollar business, but if you went from eight to 15 last year and you want to say, okay, we added seven new uh, last year. Can we add another seven? Maybe we can add 10 and get to 25. Maybe we can go from 15 to 25. Okay. As I said at the outset with my three actionable takeaways, let's look at what that implies. First of all, let's look at existing pipeline, right? Let's look at existing pipeline and how qualified it is because sometimes particularly in a, in a, in a dynamic state where pipeline might be shifting, it might become less relevant because deals are slipping or win rates are falling. But let's look at existing pipeline, and then let's look at, look at expected uh, customer acquisition cost investment, expected sales and marketing investment relative to both our existing pipeline and the target. And again, the point is, okay, if we want to add millions of dollars of new, what's going to change? What's going to be different? Is it going to come through additional demand generation investments? Is it going to come through additional marketing investments? Let's make sure that it makes sense. Because again, the point of my post on LinkedIn, the point of this talk is, you can't just snap your fingers and create efficiency. So you can't say if Mark's got a team of 10 people that generated $10 million in new business last year, you know, Edward and Kevin just can't go to Mark and say, you know what, Mark, uh, we're going to double quota. And Mark's going to say, okay, well, are you giving me double twice as much money? Are you giving me twice as many reps? Are you doubling this, the marketing investment? Are we doing three times as many, you know, thought leadership dinners? Are we hosting another conference? And they say, no, 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 
We're adding 20% more marketing spend or demand gen spend, but we expect all of your reps to become twice as productive. Even as I say it, it obviously doesn't make any sense. And so again, goal setting is a mixture of let, let's make them attainable because winning is better than losing. Sounds obvious, but not everybody believes it. Let's work backwards from where we want to be at the end state and confirm that those expectations are realistic. And then let's make sure that we're starting, the last point I will say, is that we're starting at the right place. Because sometimes, again, if you're doing 2024 planning in February, obviously, I mean, hopefully this goes without saying, but just in case, uh, it's way, way too late. If you have a four or five month sales cycle and you want to start, and that's a sales cycle from when you create an opportunity, right? And if there's a three month lead to opportunity cycle, now we're looking at 10 months between when somebody first becomes aware of what Catalyst or Pavilion or 30 miles to uh, 30 minutes to President Club, what we're all collectively doing. And when they close that business, 10 months from now is the end of the year. Right. So if you really want to be focused on annual planning, you need to start in late Q3 of the previous year, because any investments that you make need to start being planted October, November and December. If you have high targets for the next year, a lot, a lot there, but I'll pause. Hey, you know, Sam, I've always found and I'd love to hear wh what you've experienced. Um, if I have a rep at 70 percent to quota, uh, I think CFOs think that they're going to work hard to get to code quota. If I have a rep that's 130% of quota, that quota, that rep is working their butt off to continue the acceleration. And so the, the building of plans so that people with the idea and the motivation that if we stretch them, they'll do more is actually so antithetical to common sense. Reps want to earn. When you get them winning, winning begets winning. The power of mo, power of momentum is really, really huge. Like, do you, like, just curious, Sam, you talk to so many reps and have such a wide audience. Like, it, do you find the same thing? Do you find that to be a truth? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I think that, I, I like I said, and, and I've heard you talk about this before, uh, Mark, so I, I think we're on the same page. There's there's two schools of thought. One of them is like, let's get people, let's raise the goal and like, let's push people. And sometimes you're raising the goal beyond any knowledge in institutional knowledge, company knowledge, whether that goal has ever been attainable, right? We're just going to add, we're going to increase quota 30% and see what happens. And I just have found, like I said, that momentum creates momentum exactly like you just said, and that winning creates winning. And that I, I would rather have everybody high-fiving and celebrating. We got to do the math on the accelerators because we've got to make sure that the accelerators aren't so generous that effectively are blended sales and marketing express our blended customer acquisition cost is way too high because we're paying so much on the accelerators and still a meaningful amount to the underperformers. But as long as that math works, yeah, I want, I, I want people to be super, I want to pay, I want aggressive accelerators the way that AJ Bruno from Quotapath, who runs a sales commission planning company, talked to me about it. We need quota to be set at a point where we're paid back, right? We've hit our number. The company's hit our number. Then I'm really happy to be generous on the upside because on the, it's because it's upside. That's why. So I totally agree with you, Mark. I think being in the accelerators and having really interesting comp plans once they get to that point is is super compelling. I think the question I would hit back to you is probably depends on the go-to-market motion, the deal size, but what do you think about frequency of commission payments? Because there's some people that say like, let's pay every month. If you, if you don't design it right. So maybe it's like annual accelerators, but monthly quota. Uh, you, you obviously have these moments where like you may, you have a great month, you start hiding deals for one specific month, you get into the accelerators and then the next month you get a zero, but it blends out to like a much higher quota payout rate. What do you think about sort of like the frequency and the timing of accelerators? Could I uh, yeah, so Oh, go ahead, Armand. I was actually going to ask, before we, we jump into the comp side, Sam, you mentioned one thing. Do you mind if I dig in on it a little bit? No, go for it. Which is, this is something that oftentimes I struggled with a lot when my team was doing well in the paved days, is I had reps who were doing 100%, 120%, what have you. And it was like, only one of two things can be true. You've either got to like raise the quotas or you got to hire people, right? <laughs> It's like, those are the only two possibilities, right? Raise the quotas or you got to hire people because yep. clearly you have room. And so I guess if, if you're in the seat of a VP of sales or a CRO yep. Yep. and you're trying to explain to people like, no, this is a good thing that actually like the situation we're in right now 
is maximizing our revenue with the reps attaining the way they are with our elite reps in seat, not adding more reps, not raising their quotas. They're as motivated as can be. And we have the best reps as motivated as can be. How do I actually make that argument to my CEO or to my board? Because they're not just going to trust my word for it on face value. Well, the argument about which one you should do, or are you saying that you have a point of view on which one you should do? Are you saying you're, we are assuming that we're hiring more people, or are we saying, how do you even think through the problem? I think the, it would be a two-part question. The first would be, how do I even think of what to do, raise quotas yep. or add reps, right? Yep. And then two, let's say I don't want to add reps. How do I actually justify that to a board, to a CEO, so that they don't just make me hire more? Oh, well, I think the board is going to be easier to justify. It's going to be the reps that are annoyed because they're going to say that you're going to pay me less to do the same work. So the first thing is that the, the right way to answer this question is less about quota attainment, more about actually meeting capacity. And, and in some ways, it's going to be some benchmark against the number of total open opportunities given the go-to-market motion, right? So like commercial slash mid-market, maybe a rep can manage between 30 and 50 open opportunities at like – 20K ACV, true enterprise, true multi-threaded, complex seven-figure enterprise. Sometimes it might be only as many as 20 opportunities that a rep can manage. And then at SMB, true SMB, transactional SMB, you know, five closes a week or whatever, it might be as many as 70 to 90. So first thing is like, let's look at the quality of the pipeline and make sure that that there is capacity. The other thing uh, that I like to do is I call it the calendar test, which isn't particularly scientific. It's let's open up the calendars of our reps and let's figure out how many external meetings they're having per week, right? So my thought is you can have probably a total of 15, um, like at a commercial level, right? Like a 20K ACV. You can have a total of 15 external meetings every week, meaning three a day, uh, all five days of the week at capacity. That doesn't mean net new meetings exclusively. That means you're a rep. You, you want to be good. You've got the AI helper from outreach or gong or catalyst. I'm sure has some AI component at this point, right? But like you're on the call, you're doing the notes, you're doing the follow-up, the CRM is updated. You feel tight in your process. How many total meetings can you do and not feel like things are slipping through the crack? Not feel like when you say, I'll get that proposal to you by the end of the day that you somehow forget and it slips to the next day. And again, I think the capacity, the max is probably around 15. So we look at how many total external, not talking about internal pipe reviews. I'm talking about, you know, you can color code them in the calendar. And if the rep is having like, and some, most of the time it's pretty stark, right? Most of the time it's like, they're having three, you open up like one of your reps and it's like, what the hell are they doing all day? There's, <laughs> they got two external meetings and that is a sign. Do not hire more people. Now, if you look at, you got a team of 10 people each, you're doing about 150 external meetings a week. That to me, tells me that there's an opportunity to hire people. And then again, to the point of like the top three takeaways, I would say it's tranche your hiring. Don't just hire 50, hire another five or another 10. But it should be implied by the, by the pipeline capacity and the demand generation that's happening. That's what I would yep. say. Go ahead, Mark. Sam, I have a friend that runs the most non-tech of tech businesses. He owns a lawn care company. And you know what he does is he gets more yards and then he hires more lawn care people. He doesn't <laughs> hire more lawn care people and then try to go get more yards. You <laughs> are speaking my language, my brother. We got to totally switched around. You know, like his yard guys can only cut X number of square feet in an hour. And so he looks at the yard, he looks at it and he's like, okay, this is my cutting capacity. And if I do more than this, I'm going to cut off my nose despite my face. If I do less than this and I'm costing myself money and We've lost that discipline in tech sales. The you know the grow at all costs, zero interest rate uh, eras got us super lazy, and it was just you know how, well, what do you need to do more? Hire some more. And I think now you have to have a little more sophistication. You have to look at all the signals. Like for example, Mondo, if, if every rep is hitting quota, is that because does that actually mean that you need to hire more, or is like their win rate sucky but they're hitting quota? Or is their ACV horrible, but they're hitting quota? Or is it really good? Are they selling multi-products or just staying in one product thing? Is there one huge deal that threw everything off? You know, And so now you're looking at this aggregated number when one huge deal, if you remove it, really screws up the analysis. The, these are the kind of caretaking, decision-making process items that are a lot of revenue leaders are missing right now. And they're just like, well... Uh, you know, my ego is tied to how many salespeople I have. So therefore, anytime I can go get some more salespeople, like I'm a better sales leader. I, I 
again, couldn't agree more with every, me and Mark are on the same page about this stuff. And the last thing I would say is you, you also do have to understand that there is no free lunch, right? So my point is like in a growth at any cost world, you will grow faster. You will grow faster if you recklessly throw money at the problem. It's not, you won't grow faster with a, a tiny team where you're measuring and sizing every investment, but the dimensions, you know, the, the, in 2020 and 2021, you know, you would ask what's the job of the CRO and the answer from some, you know, from a board member might be hit the number. Right. And in 2024, the, the answer is hit the number at the right cost. And so it's just important to understand like, yeah, if I hired 300 people, my culture would be an absolute shit show. It would be an absolute, it would be absolutely chaos, but on the margin, would we make a little bit more money? We'd probably make a little bit more money, right? But what we're trying to do is build businesses for the long term now, for the long term. It's not just hit the number by the end of the year to try and hit a fundraising round. It's prepare this company to exist for 10 to 15 years. Sorry, I was on mute. I want to recap what both Sam and Mark have just hit on. We haven't even talked about the pipeline piece yet. And for everyone who has questions, please put them in the chat. There are a couple or in the uh, Q&A box. There are a couple other good ones coming in. So Sam, you talked about a few things and Mark, you referenced this in your lawnmower analogy, where the first thing that you're oftentimes looking at is you're looking at number of meetings your reps are taking. Then you're looking at how many opportunities do they have. And I wrote down the numbers. It was somewhere around 30 to 50 in commercial or mid-market is the max number of opportunities they can take, maybe 10, 20 in enterprise. And even that would be a lot in real enterprise. And then 70 to 90 in SMB. And so you're using that as a barometer of like, can your reps take more? In other words, if we just generated some more pipeline, would they be able to close those deals? So you had meetings, opportunities. And then the last one that's come up in the chat is also activity where someone was asking how many calls should your reps be making, yada, yada, yada. Before we move on to the other two ways to come to a goal, which are like the external comps, and then there's the top down what your pipeline can do. I'm curious, to what extent are you guys looking at the activity of the reps, things like account penetration or how many touches per account? Is that a little bit of a voodoo science or is that something where you should really be digging on how much your reps are prospecting and working their territories? I get. I want to hear Mark's answer on this first. I've actually done a, a couple posts on this when I heard ridiculous claims of companies taking most of the pipe gen responsibility off of marketing and or SDRs and putting it on top of AEs with no quota consideration. And I had a friend call me that worked for me at Outreach, and she went to a different company, and she's like, Mark, they want me to source my my pipeline. And so I just did a little bit of math with her. And I, I had two posts that I did on LinkedIn. Both of them uh, did very, very well from a engagement standpoint. But basically it takes the math and it says, okay, if your sales cycle is this, if this is about how many meetings that you run in a, in a, in a sales cycle, if uh, this is how many open opportunities that you need to have based on your win rate, and it takes back the math, we uh, found out that in order for her to run the deals that she was sourcing and do the prospecting that was expected of her, she would have to work 75 hours a week. That was just the plain math of it, of just using benchmark data of how much time it takes to do certain things. And again, these are the type of kind of calculations, common sense calculations that a lot of sales leaders aren't are doing right now. But yeah, I think that looking at activity, like your time that it takes you to do activity, the, uh, the load of open opportunities that you can actually manage. And then also, you know, how you're running, uh, how many meetings you're running per week, you get a clearly defined uh, capacity that a rep has and moving much over that is uh, nonsensical when you're setting goals. Yeah. I, the other, the last thing I would say is my experience, this is my experience, my experience. I have never, this is, and feel free to disagree again. My experience is that the top sellers in the organizations that I've worked at never have the highest activity and that there's a minimum threshold of activity, meaning like, you know, you can't, like I said, right, open up the calendar. If nothing's happening, then nothing's happening. But past that point, what I'm seeing, and again, part of it is because the it's become so much harder to do outbound. You know, Mark helped build one of the companies that made it possible for even average uh, SDRs and average reps to reach and connect with hundreds of thousands of people, you know, over the course of a year. So there's more communication happening through outbound. Now these things move in cycles. So it may be that like 
everybody hears this, they stop doing outbound and then outbound actually becomes easier, almost as like a Heisenberg's uncertainty principle or some kind of, you know, observing it changes the outcome in some way. Like we can never know where an electron is. But the point is um, uh, the best sellers, there's some minimum level of activity, but the things that I'm seeing the best sellers do are not just pound the phones. There was a question in the chat, you know, how many dials a day uh, should it take? And it's, it, uh, I think there's smarter ways. That doesn't mean outbound is dead. It just means there's smarter ways to build pipeline for the seller that is prospecting or even the SDR. And it's going to come down to, frankly, participation in communities. It's going to come down to thought leadership and engagement with your buyers uh, in social media in some way. And I think it's going to come down to deep research and personalization, really a deep understanding of how uh, your buyer is thinking, uh, the right ways to reach them. And again, that's all like different forms of outbound. Um, but I don't think it's going to correlate one-to-one -to, -one to like the person that just makes the most phone calls. I could be wrong. So if we, let's make our way over to the more efficient ways to generate pipeline for an organization. So if we use that same example you gave earlier, Sam, I'm just going to pull over one of these bar charts here. You I said love watching that... you do bar charts in real time, Armand. It's quite fun, actually. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> so this was last year we were able to do 8 million. Yep. So let's call last year's net new AR. That was 8 million, right? Right. Uh, or rather seven is what you said. So we went from eight to 15. So we started at eight. Right. And then we ended at 15. Exactly. So we did seven net new. Exactly. And let's assume that the pipeline that we had to support that was just a 3x coverage ratio. Let's assume that it was at a 33% win rate just for the sake of simplicity today. Yep. Yep. And we've got this $21 million pipeline. Yep. And you're like, okay, but in theory, we have a larger revenue base and we want to not just keep the aggregate amount of growth the same. We want to see keep the same percentage rate of growth. And so now you're talking with the board, you're talking with your team, your company is doing well. And they come to you and they're like, you know what, Sam, you did such a good job this year. Your team looks like they're doing so good. You know how to generate pipeline. And this year, I think the goal should be to go from 15 to 25. And I want you to do 10, right? And what that now means is you got to generate 30. Exactly. And so when you get pressed on a number like this, right, how do you go about Filling this gap, which the charts should actually look something like this, yep. which means there's a gap between the pipe you were generating last year and the pipe you were generating this year. Yo, watch him, you... watching him do this, this guy is a, is a master of chart making on the fly. There's 200 people watching you do this. It's very Tableau. impressive. Come on, Tableau. Here we go. So, <laughs> so you, you got to fill this $9 million pipeline gap. Yep. How do you make sure that you're the VP of sales, you're the CRO, and let's assume that today you don't personally run marketing, right? Yeah. How do you make sure this entire $9 million weight doesn't fall on your shoulders? What's a healthy mix of pipeline growth and how do you get the right resources behind you? Well, I mean, again, the, a couple things. The first is you got to be having this conversation at the right time. If the conversation's happening in September, October, it's probably the right time. If the conversation's happening in January, February, it's the year's basically over on any meaningful sales cycle and you're in trouble. So that's thing number one. Thing number two is, you know, go to revenue is generated as a team sport through the, the integration of RevOps, sales, marketing, and CS. So one part of it is, okay, if I need $9 million of new pipeline that I didn't have last year, let me work with the market, the CMO, the VP of marketing, and let's figure out where it's going to come from. Now, where might it come from? And again, these are math problems. That's, that's why it's so useful to look at it in this way, Armand, because it's not, it's not like, work ethic. You know, it's not like, well, if I just spend another five hours a week in the office or at my desk in my home office, that's going to generate the $9 million of new. We got to look at, first of all, again, let's look at the cost to generate that 21 million and let's make sure that we have the budget and that our marketing partner has the budget that could be, again, it could be hiring SDRs, but I, I'm, you know, less bullish on hiring SDRs in the modern environment. But one of the things it could be is travel and entertainment expense. You know, my favorite, my favorite efficient, there's sort of two efficient um, or three, I guess, three efficient go-to-market pipeline generation channels that I think are working right now. The first is, which sounds silly, but 
maybe it doesn't, in person. And I don't just mean going to trade shows. I mean visiting your customers in person. Really at anything around 25, 30K, 40K, 50K, if you have good net revenue retention, then there's an argument that your reps can be on a plane more often and they can be meeting with your customers in person and that's going to have a much higher close rate. So again, but I also just think generally speaking, digital marketing is competing with people's uh, value of in-person experiences. So one place I might look with my head of marketing is to say, let's make sure they have the right dollar budget, the proportional increase in dollar budget. Let's have this conversation. If it's 2024, it's September of 2023 that we're having the conversation. And let's figure out where are the in-person experiences, trade shows, conferences, and visiting our clients in person, maybe hosting some in-person dinners that I can use to get higher win rates with higher ACV, which is going to happen in person. Second, channel that I think is working. But again, if you don't have any partnership motion, it's going to be really hard. But if you do have some kind of partnership motion, partnerships tend to be pretty efficient, higher win rates if you're selling in in, in tandem uh, with people that you don't compete with. Right. And, you know, that was like, again, thinking about outreach versus gong and the, the those those head to head fights for a long time. Outreach could partner with gong and then everybody's roadmap ended up in the same place. And it became it became hard to partner like Clary gong and outreach. They can't really partner anymore because they're all kind of doing some variation of the same thing. But <laughs> if you can find people that you're not directly competing with, there's a lot of opportunities using some kind of platform like Crossbeam or reveal or whatever it may be to figure out where is the overlap and then how do we tackle uh, these these accounts together? And then the last thing I would say is, again, some kind of community play, which is really, you know, Latney would call it uh, the CMO. I think she's CRO now because she's a badass uh, of Sixth Sense. She would call it the dark web. Like figure out where are your customers talking about products that are not manifestly visible on G2 or in, you know, Captera or something else. And again, I think those conversations are happening in Pavilion. I think they're happening uh, Rev Genius. I think they're happening in, in uh, all of the smaller go-to-market communities that are out there, MoPros. So I'm not just talking my book, but I'm saying, uh, you know, Coffee Talk, CMO Coffee Talk, that's run by Matt Hines and Latney. All of those are places where decision makers are talking without, without really broadcasting those ideas. And I think those are areas uh, to, to invest. So does that help, Armand? Do you think, is that specific enough? To that? All right, good. Super. And so basically, just to tie this one off, uh, Jeff made a really good point, which is you take the 21, you scale it up to 30, and you say, okay, like if we wanted to keep the same revenue mix, can we go and ask each of those departments to step up a little bit so that yep. this is a shared thing? And then, Sam, you gave a couple tactical examples of the places where you might have the I'll call them lowest hanging fruit or the yep. best bang for your buck today. And you were even saying that just adding more and more SDRs today is like trying to get blood from a stone. That is I oftentimes so. the hardest way to add more pipeline and more healthy pipeline, especially healthy pipeline at high win rates. And there are other avenues, whether it's inbound communities, partnerships, yada, 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 that allow you to generate more pipeline and more healthy pipeline, people who are actually raising their hands, warmer pipeline per se. hundred percent. And, and, Again, the theme that you'll hear me talking about um, relative to maybe some other people is I, I just think that the world that we live in now, this profitable, efficient world, it's about fewer people but great people. That's what I think it's about, and that's why I'm loath I'm, – I'm skeptical of the SDR function in general unless the function can be elevated to attract people that want to do it for longer and want to be truly exceptional at it because the SDR – the problem with the SDR role is it's a job that – nobody really wants for the long term it makes it it makes it hard to attract great talent and when you arm mediocre talent with the tools like outreach to reach hundreds of thousands of people with average messages it just it just it makes piercing the signal through the noise that much harder so that's again i'm thinking about how do we hire a smaller number of people give them amazing comp plans with great accelerators and then put them out into the world and have them do their thing so, Mark, I think this is a perfect segue to uh, the spicy topic that I made us punt at the <laughs> beginning, which is this is one way to hit the $10 million goal. If you're going from 7 to 10 is you can generate more pipeline proportionally. The other way to hit the $10 million goal is to generate maybe not as much pipeline, but you raise your win rates, right? So you can raise your win rates on the same basis of pipeline generation. And one way that Sam talked about doing that was performance-based routing. 
aka throw the ball to throw the ball to Jordan, aka give your best leads to your best sellers. So, Mark, I'll hand it to you on this one. Uh, I don't know if it, how many people have read this book, but if you haven't, you should. It's a it's by Malcolm Gladwell. It's called Tipping Point, and inside of it, he talks about a specific thing in the sport of hockey where the age cutoff for hockey was December. And they did a poll of all of the professional hockey players in the world and found out that like 70 or 80% of them were born in January, February, and March. And it wasn't because they were better hockey players. It's because they were developmentally so much further along as children being born months ahead of other people that were in the November, December part of the cutoffs that they were more physically mature, they were more emotionally uh, mature, they were able to take coaching better because they excelled and they were the big and the best. They got the most coaching from coaches. And we created this whole system that basically reinforced that two or three quarters of people were never really going to have a chance to make the pros because of the cutoff date of when hockey tryouts were for youth hockey in Canada. They ended up going to two or three cutoff dates and immediately the the talent pool exploded as they found out that, hey, kids uh, that are born in September are just as good as kids that are born in January, just not when they're up against each other, when one is, you know, live 30% longer than another, right? So to me, that whole concept is a concept I've taken over to lead routing. When you feed your best leads to the best people, then your other reps don't get enough practice. They don't get enough good deals. They don't get deep enough in sales cycles. They never develop into good reps or it's much more difficult to do it. If your reps aren't good enough to take your best leads, then they shouldn't be your reps. That is the real answer, not lead, putting great leads to great reps. That means that you have bad reps. And what do you do with bad reps? You either coach them up or move them out. And so that I would rather send good leads to reps that are maybe on the spectrum of moving up and being great reps, to invest in them to be great reps, to get the at-bats, to get the swings, to get the practice, then I would to just be feeding my hunters. And listen, I had this exact thing happen at Outreach. About two or three years in, we started routing all the leads to the best reps, and all of a sudden, the rich got richer, and we could never have that second and third generation of rep that was leading the company, that was doing the innovation, that was closing the big deals. It was just the same old, same olds on top of every leaderboard, as soon as we stopped that, guess what? People started stepping up. We found a whole nother generation of great sellers at Outreach that were just as good as the first generation. We had just clipped their wings by not sending them good quality leads that get let them get in the practice and the motion of doing what they needed to do. Now, having said that, you better have great coaching and managerial and leadership support if you're going to do that. Otherwise, reps aren't just going to get better on their own in most cases. They need the help. So if you uh, are you know, have 12 to one rep to manager ratios, probably best to send best leads to your best reps because you ain't coaching 12 people if you're a manager. So Sam, I'm curious on that. So Mark's take is you got to have everyone on the team be able to shoot a jumper, no matter who it is. <laughs> and yours is like, you. my guess is you're probably like, you can only have so many Jordans on the team. It's hard to build a whole team of Jordans. And so I'm curious for your take on that versus saying no, like you should still like allow your best reps to be feasting on the best territories. Well, I, you know, the funny thing is I don't think Mark and I are really disagreeing that much because what Mark is saying is if you have a bunch of people that you don't want to send leads to, why are they still working at your company? And I agree with that. So, and that <laughs> we're in that way where what I'm saying is a smaller team of high performers uh, for me is again, to the point of the webinar is, is optimal versus a larger team of mediocre performers. And if I'm going to have mediocre performers, then I need some way of feeding the winners uh, because it's just too costly in a capital constrained environment, you know, and I, I've done the math for this on people. And some of these, again, this is just spreadsheets. So like you can make it say anything, but if you assume just basic assumptions, like maybe, um, uh, average deal size, best sellers also tend to have slightly larger average deal sizes. So you assume like 20% larger average deal sizes and 20 to 30% or 40% improvement on win rates. And the productivity between a mediocre person and a top person is just so massively different. So what's the way to get around exactly what Mark's point is, which is like, well, how do you ever develop the next generation if you're constantly feeding the winners and starving the people that are still developing? And I think there are ways to to get around that, uh, or but they, they take a little bit of skill and Zoom Info does that, which is really 
it's not that um, for lower the quota for your middle of performers and create. So what zoom info does is they essentially have like an English premier league kind of uh, system where there's relegation, right? So you get to move up, you get to advance into the top tier of leads. If you overperform on a quality of leads that has been rated as more average, but as a consequence, your target is lower, right? So they're saying we're string, we're normalizing against this quality of opportunity. These territories are sized similarly across what you might call the middle performers so that when you overperform against the middle ground, you can move up into the premier league and then you start getting the best leads. So I think if you lower the targets for the middle people and you have some lead qualification system so that you can roughly say these people are getting roughly the same kinds of leads, then that's an opportunity to move people up for overperformance based on true competence or aptitude and similarly moving people down based on underperformance. But I fundamentally think, you know, the best path forward is is to Mark's point is like, let's have a team of people where we're confident that pretty much every single person on this team can can close a deal at the right rate. Well, I think uh, you guys are both starting to get to the same point, which Mark, you said this on a podcast the other day with Anthony Cesario. It's either same territories, same opportunities, same quota, or unequal opportunities, unequal quota. Mm -hmm. You cannot have different opportunities, better leads for these people, worse leads for these people, and then have everyone on the same number. And Sam, it sounds like you're exactly the same on that one as well. Yeah. And so I mean, I try to make it a policy not to disagree with Mark. I usually end up in trouble. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Mark could be spicy on the interviews. <laughs> and so if we, let's tie this one up. We have about 10 minutes left and we got to wrap. And so with the last five minutes, when we think about the plan is in motion, right? There are things that we're doing to make sure that our win rate is as high as possible, things that we're doing to make sure that we have pipeline generation in a healthy position. And ideally, those things go to plan, right? But what we haven't talked about is you guys have talked about the concept of maintaining a high-performing team. And so for everyone in the chat, why don't you go ahead and just put the answer to this question that I'll pin to both Sam and Mark, which is the golden dangerous question that everyone's debating today, which is average team attainment. What is healthy average team attainment in today's type of era? In other words, where does it get dangerously low where you're like, we've either got to drop quotas or drop people, unfortunately. And then where does it start to get to that point where you're like, okay, this is a little bit frothy, especially for nowadays. What do you guys think? I, uh, Chris Carlton in the chat, uh, that's my answer to 80%. I think 80% is where you want to be. And exactly to your point, Armand, these are grades. These are degrees, right? So like 60% and lower, there's a problem. There's a problem with the product. There's a problem with the sales team, but there's a problem. And then I've advised companies where they put board slides in front of me. They're like, look at, I have three sellers and they're all at 130%. I'm like, okay, well then something else is happening here. Uh, and so I would say 115 to 120% consistently, like across a team that tells me that something is off on the other side, that they're attributing themselves to deals that they shouldn't be. Maybe there's a PLG motion and the salesperson saying, I closed that when the person would have closed anyway. So I, I think, but the, the sweet spot is 80% attainment for me. Yeah. And for, for me, I think that can be a bit reductive in that there's uh, setting quotas and, and how you do all that is uh, and what attainment should be is a complex system. There's a lot of variables. So I can build a great company that has, awesome financials at 60% attainment. I can build one that at 100% attainment. So I think the, the to me, the main point is, is uh, it you, there's a level of attainment that you want to achieve. You got to see the feasibility of building a plan around that or not. And 80%, I think is a great benchmark. I used to be 80% of my reps need to be at 80% of quota. In these times, I'm more like 70% of my reps need to be at 70% of my quota. But those are like link in headline type of numbers to make things easy to 80 understand. Yeah, they're just, they're kind of ridiculous. But uh, uh, honestly, I think that the answer is, is where do you want your reps to earn? And then see if you can build a plan around that. And if you can help somebody carve out a great living at 80% of their quota, then great, build a plan around that. If you can't, then you need, and you need to get to 90%, then you better build a plan around that. But uh, the my only thing is, is that the higher you go, the 
we we get back to that original point that we we're making is is you're more likely to have people in a losing situation trying to catch up than a winning situation trying to distance themselves even further from quota. And I, I prefer a lower target and people feeling like they're distancing themselves. Yeah, it's uh really what you guys are both saying. And Mark, what you hit on right there is look, there's a constant balance of there's what you want your reps to make. And that's one side of the attainment equation, right? You want your best reps to make money so that they ultimately stay. But then Sam, you've hit on this a number of times, which is where is it financially feasible for the business? In other words, it's probably not super financially feasible to have a model where every single person on the team is doing 180% of their quota and they're in triple accelerator territory, but your revenue baseline actually isn't growing that much. They're just feasting because you haven't hired enough people to ultimately spread the leads. That's it on this, folks. Um, Sam, was there anything else you wanted to add? No. I thought oh, you look I, like you're motioning. No, I was just uh, violent agreement. That's all. Violent I guess the, the one thing, the one thing I will say, this is a topic for another webinar. The idea of quota is like an onion that it is an enigma wrapped inside a puzzle, wrapped inside a mystery. <laughs> what is quota? Is quota a motivational tool? Is quota a financial planning tool? Is quota our particular point of view on somebody's ability to produce something? It's like all of these things conflated, and that's why it makes it so strange. Well, okay. no better way to end than with a fantastic <laughs> quota onion analogy. Mark, it is time for our favorite part of the show, and it is the two-by-two two recap. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. It looks like some of these like AI call recorders beat us to it in the chat. And there's yeah. some pretty good ones in there. But Mark, it is time for the two by two, four bullet recap email. What do you got for number one? Number one, make sure that when you're setting goals, you're thinking about attainability first. Uh, I think that in the grow at all cost era, we got into aspirationally hitting certain markers to do certain things. And we attainability became a little bit squashed as there was an, always an ability to spend more to help attain that doesn't exist anymore. So I think that that is a new, like if you're doing smart goals, maybe they should be ASMRT instead of SMART, make that a really important. That's the first one. And then the second thing is, is when you're looking at rep capacity, it's a more complex calculation than just what is their quota and how much you want to prove it. I really love Sam's thoughts on 15 meetings is about how many meetings a busy, productive person can run in a week. If you're planning on them running 20 or 25, 
you might be a little bit hot. I think that that's just a real common sense, like put your thumb in the air and see where the wind's blowing type of thing that help you get a good sense if you're making the right decisions. There it is. My number three was one more piece of this one, which is those numbers that you gave around 30 to 50 opportunities in the commercial segment, 10 to 20 in the enterprise, 70 to 90 in SMB. You need to look at the amount of works that you're, you're, the amount of work that your reps can take on. And oftentimes that is the better sign of capacity, not an artificial quota number that you've established. So that is number three. And then lastly, number four, I really liked the concept that you had of Sam of, okay, we have this gap in pipeline, but we can't just add more stuff. If we could just do more, life would be easy, and then the pipeline would just appear. You need to consider every single dollar that you drive pipeline upward is a dollar that is harder to get than the dollars that you got before because you are fundamentally trying to get more out of the same market. And so, folks, if you liked what Sam had to say today, what I will tell you is I've personally been to a number of pavilion events myself. I've gotten the chance to hang out with Sam. And holy smokes, if there is a way to learn a lot about being an amazing sales leader, there are a lot of things that I wish I had access to earlier in my career that I had to learn the hard way. And there's no better way to do this than to be in their Slack community, to take the courses, to show up to the events. And guess what? If you use the code 30MPC, you can actually get 15% off a Pavilion annual membership. And so we'll send that out in the follow-up. So definitely go check out Pavilion. Amazing group. And if you like what you saw here, we're going to cover all things related to cold calling on the next one. Sarah Brazier, Sarah Plowman, two Sarahs, and a Shea Keeler, the SS&S special in our final webinar of Q1. That's all we got, folks. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Thanks.